Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. And before we uh, continue, let me um, deal with the elephant in the room. I've been asked what happened to me, why am I arm in a sling. Surprisingly, I had three people ask me who, who I got in a fight with, two of which wondered if it was my wife. So, no, my wife and I did not get into a fight. So, just give you kind of what happened to me. About four weeks ago, I was playing in a soccer game, and uh, I, it was wet, and I slipped, and I fell and landed on my elbow. Did not hurt at all. Woke up the next morning, and it was the size of a tennis ball on my elbow, um, and uh, checked uh, with um, uh, a doctor who attends our church, and said, what do you think it is? And she said, you have uh, bursitis, and so it'll go away. Over the next few weeks, it did not go away. In fact, it started getting better at one point, and then got worse. Last Sunday, um, actually I hurt more than I do this Sunday, but um, I just didn't you know, let you know that. Um, it was very swollen, um, and uh, so went to a doctor, the doctor, and they immediately took me to the surgeon and said what had happened was is it had gotten infected, and I, I had a staph infection. And uh, so I had surgery on Wednesday to remove the staph infection, and um, so that's, that's why I have this sling. Um, it's nothing cool like I got in a fight or anything like that, okay? I just simply had an infection. So, um, Lord willing, within next week I won't be wearing the sling, and within a couple weeks I'll be back to my normal self, whatever that happens to be. So, Exodus chapter 5. I do want to mention before we go on, every week I put, we put in the bulletin the uh, notes that you can take, and I encourage you to do that for a couple reasons. First of all, it's, it helps you to remember if you're going through and writing things down. Second of all, it helps you if you are uh, participating in growth groups, which I encourage you to do that, because on Wednesday, if you're not familiar with what we do on gr growth group, on Wednesday we go through and we talk through my message, and, and really it's, it's been... Uh, fantastic to be a part of. I've enjoyed it because I get to sit and listen what people learn and I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about that and I preached the message and so it's good for you to do that. One thing I did different this week that I haven't done before, if you look on the back, there is on the bottom, it's family discussion time. One, one of the things Pastor Nate and I have been talking about is we need to find better ways to uh, help you as a family um, spend time in the Word of God, but also have you kind of unpack God's Word a little bit more as a family and talk about it. And so um, I, I give you these discussion questions, some verses to read, and so I encourage you sometime this week to take your family. You say, I, I don't have a family. I'm a single or I'm a widow or a widower. Find someone. Find a friend in, in, in a church here. And maybe it's just over the phone. You call them and say, hey, can we talk about the message this week, and I think that'll be an encouragement to you. So I encourage you to take the time to do that. All right, Exodus chapter 5 and verse 22 is where we'll begin, and I want to look at, again, the greatness of God. I want to understand God in a greater way. Last week we looked at a big word, the immutability of God means God does not change. I want to look at, over the next few weeks, some more big words that some of you have heard, some of you maybe haven't, or some of you have heard a preacher say but didn't really understand what it meant. And so we're going to talk about those. Today I want to talk about the omnipotence of God. 
If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that this message will deepen your reverence for God and increase your confidence that one day the enemies of righteousness will face recompense by God and then ultimately that we can seek refuge with God. But what is omnipotence? Omnipotence, or uh, omnipotent, is a, is, comes from two Latin words. Omni means all, and potent means powerful. And so when we apply it to God, what we're saying is God is all-powerful. Now I am awed by, by powerful men, and I'm awed by powerful women. I, I don't know if you... Um, have heard of these guys who lift this incredible amount of weight. In 2004, this man, I don't remember his name, but he lifted 1,155 pounds. Wow. Five pounds is enough for me right now. 1,155 is a world record. Or have you heard about these guys who will take phone books and rip them in half? How many of you have ever seen someone do, do that. You take a phone book and they rip it in half and you're really impressive. I heard about a guy in 2009 that in 10 minutes he ripped 67 phone books in half. In December of 2016 there was a Russian man that broke the record for the most pull-ups in, in an hour. Now, first of all, why you're spending a whole, uh, no, excuse me, not an hour, 12 hours. How, why you're spending 12 hours doing push-ups, I don't know. But in 12 hours, he did 5,825 pull-ups. If you don't know what a pull-up it is, you pull on a bar and pull yourself up. He did 5,012 hours. Now, it's not just men, it's also women. There was a woman by the name of Julie Moody. In 2013, Julie Moody pulled a 25,000-pound semi-truck 75 feet with a rope. It's crazy. You know, she had more muscles. I saw a picture of her. She had more muscles than I knew existed. But uh, uh, she pulled it 75 feet in 35 seconds. As astonishing as that is, it's insignificant compared to the ability of God. As astonishing as that is, it's, it's nothing in comparison to the fact that God is all-powerful. God has the ability to do anything. Even the Hebrew name, we're going to look at one of the Hebrew names of God, and even the Hebrew name of the God speaks of power. It's the Hebrew name El Shaddai, which means Almighty One. This name El Shaddai is, appears in Scripture 66 times and it refers to the awesome might and strength of God. And one of the first usages of this is in the text of today. So turn there in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 22 is where I'm going to begin re- reading and I'm going to read down to chapter 6 and verse 8. So just follow along as I read. He says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you out into the land that I swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'll help us to understand how mighty you are. God, we are at times afraid of man. We're afraid to stand up and and talk against the sin of this world. We're afraid to stand up and tell people about what Jesus Christ has done for them because we're afraid of man. And yet, we serve a God who is so powerful. And as Moses, so often, Lord, we want to run and we want to hide. And yet, as Moses, you tell us to stand up and be bold because you are an almighty God. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand you better today. God, be with me as I share your words. That they will be powerful, not because of me, but because of you. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to see you this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin by just looking at the context of what's happening in Exodus chapter 5 and 6. Remember, God had come to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of out of bondage, the people of Israel in bondage in Egypt. And he said, I want you to lead my people out. And so, so Moses and, and Aaron accept the call to go do this. And they go and they begin to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. Notice, if you will, Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2. And notice Pharaoh's response. It says, who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Instead of letting Israel go, Pharaoh uh, actually made their bondage more severe. The Bible tells us that he forced them to work even harder. They had to make just as many bricks, but he did not provide the straw for them to do that. They had to find their own. And so over time, the oppression gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the Israelite foremen, the guys who kind of oversee certain areas, they came to Moses and Aaron and they said, what are you doing to us? Look, if you will, chapter 5, verse 21, it says there, And they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made us to stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They said to to Moses and Aaron, What have you done? You're causing us more problems. And so Moses turns to God and he cries out in verse 22, and he says, God, why have you done this? Why have you left us in bondage? 
in chapter 6, we begin to see the response of God. And once you notice verse 1, he says, first of all, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. This is just kind of a side note. This is not the, the thrust of the message, but I want you to notice that, that how often is it that when God is about to do some amazing thing in our life, first of all, it's preceded by some very discouraging setbacks. And here God is about to uh, take uh, the Israelites and He is about to give them the greatest day of liberation that they've ever had. But prior to doing that, He gives them some of the heaviest weight they've ever experienced. I believe God does the same thing with us. And so God then continues on and He says to Moses, he, he, He begins to assure Moses, Hey Moses, I have the ability to do what I said I'm going to do. Notice what he says. First of all, he reminds Moses in verse 2 of a name he had already revealed. Look at verse 2. He says, And God says to Moses, I am the Lord. What is he referring to in that passage? He's referring to way back, uh, uh, just not long before this, when, when Moses appeared before God. Actually, turn back there. Look at Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses. Remember at this point, Moses is in the, the, the desert and he's in the desert as a shepherd and he's hiding. He's trying to live out his life and suddenly while he's there, the Bible tells us that this bush starts to burn. But it doesn't disintegrate. And out of this bush comes a voice and this voice is God, and God begins to have a conversation with Moses through this bush and begins to, to lead him. And Moses uh, is, is kept saying no to God. God, I can't do this. And he comes and he says to God, God, the people are not going to believe me. They're not going to listen to what I have to say. And so who am I supposed to say sent me? Look what, if you will, at, at Judge, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3, and look at verse 14. And God said to Moses, this is what you're to tell the people. I am who I am. The name that he gives himself here is the name Jehovah or Yahweh. It is the idea of of, uh, the greatest name of God. God is saying to him, I am. I always have been. I always will be. There is nothing that can stop me. I am who I am. So God comes to Moses again in this passage and he says, God, uh, Moses, remember, I already told you who I was. I am who I am. He reminds him of that. Look at down in, uh, back in Exodus, excuse me, chapter 6. Look at verse 6 again. He says, I am the Lord. Verse 7, he says, I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, he says, I am the Lord. He reminds him over and over and over again of that. In other words, what he's trying to say to them is, I am the same God that I have always been. I have not ceased to be God because Pharaoh who thinks he's something when he is not, is huffing and puffing about how angry he is. I am the same God. I am the same God no matter what the people around you think. I am the same God no matter if the oppression gets hard. I do not change and I will deliver you. Then in verse 3, he reminds Moses of another name of God, and it's one I mentioned just a few moments ago. In verse 3 he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. 
He says, he reminds him, he says, you know what, there, there was a time when I came to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, and they understood this is the, the forefathers of, of the Jewish nation. And he says, I came to them, and the name that I revealed to them was God Almighty, this El Shaddai. He says, I revealed to them this name, but I am coming to you as something different. If you notice in that passage, he says, but I, by the name the Lord, by the name Jehovah, by the name I am that I am, I did not make myself known to them. It seems as if what God is trying to point out is something interesting here. He's trying to point out that the name Yahweh that he revealed to, to Moses is a greater name than just God Almighty. But when you put the two together, what you get is a God who can do absolutely anything. And he's saying to them, only recently have I made known to you the full meaning of my name. And this is a special privilege, Moses. But look at that name that I have given myself. And that name he gives there is that name God Almighty. He says, I've already given this, but I want you to think about it some more. In verse 4, he reminds him of the covenant God had made. He said, I made a covenant with them that I would give them the land. And he reminds him of that. And he says, if as God Almighty, I have, I have solemnly agreed with your fathers and promised them this land, how much more will I do it as Jehovah, Yahweh, I am that I am. And together these names, God Almighty and Yahweh, give Moses all the assurance that he needed to press forward. And so what I want to do just in the next few moments is what, are, what do we mean when we say God Almighty? When we say El Shaddai. When we say God is omnipotent, God is all-powerful, what are, what, are, what are we talking about? So first of all, I want to look at the implications about God from an omnipotence. What is, what is it that is implied when we say God is almighty? Because we say it, we understand it, and if I was to say to you it's God almighty, you would, probably every single one in this room would say, yep, I agree with that. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us? This view of God is confirmed over and over in the Bible that God is almighty and, and we see that there. But what does that really mean? There's three things I wanted you to notice. First of all, His purposes cannot be stopped. The omnipotence of God implies that nothing He does can be stopped, that whatever He purposes to do will be done. Notice what it says in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 31. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And what Daniel understood is what we need to understand. There's not a single thing on earth that can stop God. Have you thought about that? You know, we look in our world today and we look and we go, man, just look, look what's happening. I mean, I, I can't believe how bad our country has gotten. You know, I, I can't either. When's God going to do something? God hasn't stopped. Because when we understand the omnipotence of God, what we're saying is, God, there is nothing that anyone can do to stop you. Not Satan, not this world, not you, not me. Nothing. 
The omnipotence of God tells us that his purposes will not be stopped. If God purposes in heart to do something, it simply cannot be stopped by any power in this universe. But secondly, not only does he do what he pleases, but this, uh, he, excuse me, not only can he not be stopped, but he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. Notice what it says in Psalm 115, one, uh, verse 3, says, Our God is in heaven. He does all he pleases. Everything he does. Notice, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 46, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God Almighty is not like us. He can do whatever he pleases and ultimately the only thing that determines what God will accomplish and what he won't accomplish is his own will. This means that God is all-powerful. The third thing I want you to notice is that his power is superior to others. Um, Just the other day I was watching a a video and it was it was about football. I like football. But it was interesting because while watching this video suddenly I I, I got excited about God. You say, how did football do that? I was watching this video and in this video they they the the camera angle was from above and they placed the football in the middle of uh, of the, the two teams, and the two teams were about to go to battle, and, and you can just imagine these, these, it's surrounded by these massive men, these men that are, you know, 6'6 six, six and 300 pounds, and just uh, huge individuals, and they're there, and, and that ball seems so small and so insignificant, and then they pulled away, and as they pulled away, you saw the crowd, and, and there was this spectacle of, of crowd cheering, and people excited, and and, and, uh, and cheerleaders, and, and noise, and this was a college experience. So there's a band, and there's all this going on, and it's just incredible spectacle. And as they pulled farther away from the camera angle, suddenly you realize that the camera was up in, in, in a helicopter or something. You realize this stadium was just a small little glimpse. And suddenly you couldn't see the football anymore. And the men were just these little individuals on the field, and, and they were nothing. And it caused me to realize that God looks down from us and so often we looked at, at these spectacles of life that we think are such a big deal and we think and we look and we see and we realize that in comparison to God, they're nothing. And God is all-powerful. And God puts on a display of His power all the time. Just one example. Think about the minor display and strength of splendor. Every morning when you wake up and God brings the sun over the horizon. Yes, I understand it's not the sun that's moving, but you know, just for the sake of understanding here that the sun comes up over the horizon. The sun is 865,000 miles thick. It's one Point three million times heavier than the earth and it blazes as its coolest point at one million degrees and every morning it it rises to thrill us with the power and glory of God and it fills us with hope of another day 
And God is so powerful. That the scripture tells us that the sun is just one of his many stars. You know, and yet, we sometimes lose the awe of that. We're so impressed with that little blurry spot on the screen that is a football. And God says, I've done far greater than that. When's the last time you were in awe of God's power? When's the last time you were in awe of what God is capable of doing? He is the Almighty God. Nothing can stop His hand. Nothing can change His purpose. He is, as Scripture says, the potter. And, and, and we, the universe, are His clay. He is all-powerful. And the implications of God is that He cannot be stopped. But secondly, I want to look at the implications to us from omnipotence. What does it mean to us? What does His omnipotence, what does His all-power imply to us? We want to focus on that for just the next few moments. First of all, omnipotence means reverence. In Job chapter uh, 40 and verse 2, Job says, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. Job understood the fact is this, is how can I contend with the Almighty God? How can I at all stand in the presence of God and tell Him He's done anything wrong? The fact that God is Almighty means that He may not be fought against. He may uh, perplex us at times. We may even be qu- question Him in, the, in lowliness for understanding, but never accuse Him because He is the all-powerful God. And so what Job is saying is, how can we ever accuse our Maker? When we try, what we're doing is we're setting ourselves above God. We're saying we're greater than God, and that's a horrendous sin that we should not commit against God. In Romans, Paul says this, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? But I think what has happened is is that we have lost our reverence of God. We've lost our awe of God. Reverence is such a foreign uh, thing for us today. We don't have that experience. Why? Because we often view God as a pal or a sidekick or or a grandfather or some view Him as a religious drug for the uneducated. But... Uh, he cannot, and so when you view him that way, he cannot be revered. There are many affections you may feel for a little God, but reverence is not one of them. But when we see God as being massive and powerful and, and almighty, then we cannot help ourselves but revere him. Isaiah said this, The Lord of hosts, let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Reverence is a combination of adoration and fear. It's a combination of awe and dread. It's a combination of wonder and terror. And we come into the presence of God, that's what we should have. 
that, that wonder. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we, when we preached through Isaiah, when Isaiah saw a glimpse of God and he fell down and he said what? Woe is me. I'm wicked. When we see God for who He is, we should be awestruck at His power. Over and over again in Scripture we see that. Individuals, when they see God, are no longer the same. But today we've allowed ourselves to miss the reverence of God. Miss the awe of God. And omnipotence, when we really understand the all-power of God, it means that we have to revere Him. But secondly, omnipotence means recompense. What do I mean by that? What is recompense? Recompense is, is your penalty. One of the characteristics connected with power is always judgment. Judgment. If we believe God is all-powerful, then we believe that what's connected to that is a judgment for those that do not do what He wants. And Scripture tells us what that is. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8 it says, In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There Paul is reminding us of this fact is there is judgment that will come upon those who do not believe in the all-powerful God. You know, there are people of this world who say God does not exist, or there are people in this world who, who have diminished God to something little and something small. When we begin to see the omnipotence of God, what it causes us to realize is that one day those people will face judgment. In Revelation, John describes that. John describes in the book of Revelation a scene where there's a white horse, and, and this white horse has a rider on it who's called Faithful and True. And, and the Bible describes it by saying that his eyes are the flame of fire and he's, and he's clad in a robe that is dripping with blood and, and the name with which he's called is the Word of God. And when we come to that passage, it says this about him. It says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Here's the thing, if God is almighty, then one thing is for sure, no one who resists him will succeed. No one. No one. That man who you work with, who who mocks every time you tell him about God and says God does not exist, one day he will stand before God and he will not be able to look God in the face and say you do not exist. God's power will be revealed at that moment and he will face recompense. Those people who say maybe God exists but I'm greater than God or I, I can fight against God or I can do my own thing and I will succeed. They will look God in the face one day and God will say it wasn't enough. It's folly and it's madness to disobey the Almighty. Just like uh, in, in times when there was a monarchy and you would, you, it would be folly and madness to look at the king and deny the king. It would be folly and madness to deny the Almighty. He cannot be tricked. He cannot be thwarted. He cannot be defeated. 
The Bible tells us he has appointed a day when his son, as it says in this passage, will tread on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of an almighty God. We like to view God as a God of love, and he is, but because God is almighty, that means there's wrath involved. We're going to talk more about that in a few weeks, about the judgment of God, but we see it clearly that his omnipotence means there is wrath. And thirdly, I want you to notice, and this is a positive, that omnipotence means refuge. The opposite of recompense for those who have refused God's treaty is refuge for those who have accepted it. I love the, the passage here in Psalms 91 where it says, David says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Don't you just love the fact that, and we just looked at two verses, and both of them used the same exact word. Both of them used God Almighty, but in one, it's one of, of wrath. But in this one, it's one of comfort. Because has it ever hit home to you that my God who loves me and gave Himself for me is almighty? He's powerful. It means that that if you take your place under the shadow of the Almighty, under His protection, you are protected by the Almighty God, by the Omnipotent One, by the All-Powerful One. And there's this infinite and unending security in the almightiness of God. Isn't that incredible? That if, if I stand in, in, my, in my pride and say, God, I don't need you, then the almighty nature of God means I, can, I am stand condemned and I will be destroyed. But if I stand and say, God, I need you and I rely on the work of Jesus Christ and I turn to Jesus Christ, then the almighty nature of God becomes an umbrella, a rock of protection that protects me from all harm. Omnipotence can go either way. So this brings us to our last point, and what I want you to kind of focus on in the next few moments is what does that mean to you? What, what's the application to your life? When we dwell on the omnipotence of God, when you dwell on the fact that God is all-powerful, what does that mean for you? First of all, omnipotence drives us to worship. Omnipotence drives us to worship. In Kings, it says this, But you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power. The passage we looked at in Exodus where, where they, they called on God and God said to him, Hey, I'm going to do this. Why? Because I am who I am and I am uh, El Shaddai. I am the all-powerful one. And so because of that, I am going to bring you out. And here, they're reminded years later, he says, God brought them out with all power. And what's your response? What does it say your response will do? It says you shall bow yourself to Him. You shall worship Him. How often do you worship God because of what He has done for you? Do you worship God because of how powerful He is? Omnipotence should drive us to worship, but secondly, omnipotence should give us confidence. 
In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, the verse says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You see, for Paul, the source of his confidence was not himself. The source for his confidence was not those around him or his gifts or his abilities. The source of his confidence was an omnipotent God. That I can do all things through Christ and the strength of God's power, we can accomplish all that God wants us to do. We can live confidently every day knowing that as it says in in Ephesians, that we're able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think according to the power that rests in us by the grace of God. So you go out tomorrow, and if your confidence is, I can do this today, you will fail. But if your confidence is, I serve a almighty God, then you can do all things through Christ. Omnipotence should drive us to worship. It should give us confidence. Thirdly, omnipotence is our basis for hope. It's our basis for hope. Why? The Bible speaks of of the resurrection power. That no one has ever had the resurrection power except for Jesus Christ, God Almighty. That only because of the resurrection do we have life. What I find amazing is uh, you read through Job. Job, I think, understood some stuff that we today don't even get. And he didn't have the word like we do. Job, in his conversation with God, he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Notice what he says that next. After that, my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh, in my flesh, I shall see God. See, he understood that, that uh, his hope was not in himself. His hope was not in his flesh. He didn't even understand the outcome that we do because he did not, had not seen Jesus Christ. But he understood that his hope was in a powerful, almighty Redeemer. David wrote, my heart is glad and, re- and glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely for I will not be abandoned in Sheol. Neither will you allow me, the, the Holy One, to see the pit. In other words, what he is saying is this. He says, I will not stay dead. My hope is not in myself. My hope is not in what I've done. But my hope is in the powerful One. See, our hope is in an all-powerful God. Many of you have had loved ones who have gone on before you and your hope that you will one day see them is in the all power of God. The omnipotence of God. Your hope is not in you. Next we see that omnipotence offers comfort. When you catch yourself worrying about something, Even this week, as you catch yourself worrying about a circumstance in your life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whatever it is, when you catch yourself worrying about something, realize that there is nothing too great for God to handle. 
If God is all-powerful, if God is the omnipotent one, there is nothing too great. Jeremiah said this, or, 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 or excuse me, God said this to Jeremiah. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Nothing is too difficult for a God whose power is infinite. Author A.W. Pink said this, Well may the saint trust such a God. He who is worthy of implicit confidence. Nothing is too hard for him. If God were stinted in might and had limit to his strength, we might well despair. But seeing that he is clothed with omnipotence, no power is too hard for him to answer, no need too great for him to supply, no passion too strong for him to subdue, no temptation too powerful for him to deliver us from, no misery too deep for him to relieve us from. In other words, what he's saying is God can handle any problem you have. I want you to stop right now and think of that problem in your life that is causing you the greatest amount of sorrow and the greatest amount of pain. And you know what the scripture says? Nothing is too hard for God to handle. Do you believe in the omnipotent one? Then why do we live like we don't? Because the last point is is that omnipotence guarantees victory. God's power is the basis for all spiritual victory. That's why when Paul was teaching on, on, on the, the armor of God, he said this. He said about the armor of God, he said, um, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. I've got to put on the armor of God, but when I step out into the battlefield in the armor of God, I cannot win just because I, I uh, think I can. I win because of His might. So His omnipotence guarantees me victory. It doesn't guarantee me happiness in every moment of life. It doesn't guarantee me uh, a smooth sailing. It doesn't guarantee me that everything's going to go just as I think it should. No, it guarantees me victory. That I can have victory through God. When enemies come, you're not supposed to fight them yourselves. You're supposed to tell the commander and he will lead the battle. God can bring about a spiritual victory. Why? Because as it says in 1 John, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We fight against a powerful enemy. Satan is a very powerful enemy, but he is no match for God's power. So how do we respond? First of all, we respond humbly. In 1 Peter, it says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We humble ourselves and God, I cannot do this. And then secondly, we pray. Do you understand the magnificence of praying to an almighty God? Do you realize that today there are eight 
billion people in this world, and every single one of them has the power because of what Jesus Christ did to go boldly to God. And even later, as we go in a time of communion, and as you get before God, the face of God, and as you pray, even though there are, God has the task of keeping this world together, and God has the task of making sure the planets don't run into each other, and God has the task of making sure that every organ and every body of 8 million people continues to work today, God still is listening to your prayer. How does he do that? Because he's the almighty God. And as we, and you sit in the, the, the quietness of, of a moment by yourself with God and you pray and you think, I am all alone. There is this all-powerful God who this morning brought the sun up over our horizon and he is there listening to you. So scripture says, come humbly, but come boldly to the throne of the Omnipotent One. Let's pray. God, I do pray that you will help us. God, I am completely humbled by the fact that you hear me even now. I know there are far more important things in this world for you to be doing than listening to me. I know there are far more important people in this world than me. But yet you hear me. You hear me and you know my thoughts, you know my pains, you know my aches, you know uh, what's going on in each person's life that's in this room. Lord, you know things that are happening in this room that, that no one else knows. And you tell us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And when we do that, you will exalt us. Lord, I think we've lost a glimpse of how powerful you truly are. And so because of that, we're not humble enough. Lord, I pray that you will humble us today. Lord, if there's any in this room that is standing in opposition to you, I pray that you help them to see that, that they're, they're facing against an almighty God and one day they will face the reward or the recompense for that. But your word tells us that Jesus Christ came and he stood in our place. He, he stood in the, in the path of your wrath so that we can have forgiveness. And so now, Lord, if there's those in here this morning who have not placed their faith, I pray that you'll help them to do that, that they will turn from their sins, they'll turn from their, their pride that thinks they can do it on their own and they will trust in you. Lord, for us as believers, I pray that you help us to understand that as you pulled away your, your mighty wrath from us, you placed on top of us your mighty protection. 
So Lord, I pray that you'll help us to stay under your mighty hand. We thank you for it. Pray, Lord, even as we go into this time of communion to understand the ramifications of, of the death of Jesus Christ and what it means for our salvation. Lord, we thank you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.